To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Oh, I got a brand new podcast for you. So uh, this week's a great one. Uh, so this week I have on Henry Ferguson. Um, so I've just gotten to know Henry through his social media, and then we introduced ourselves at the Western Hunting Expo. Uh, but this is the first time we've really had a chance to sit down and have a long-form uh, conversation. Uh, Henry, he's just a killer with his bow in his hands. He's a great bow shot. He's one of those guys that is consistently successful year after year, and he just turns up some bomber bucks. And so really fun to sit down and, and break that down, break down the why and uh, talk about tips and tactics and mindset. And um, it, and you just couldn't meet a nicer guy. Uh, Henry, he's so humble. He doesn't say, take himself too serious. Uh, it, and it's just a, a great conversation and a great podcast. And Henry's one of those guys that I, I just want to keep in touch with and uh, continue to be friends with um, and, and check in and have him on the podcast. I really enjoy it. So I learned some from this podcast. I really enjoyed it. I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. Henry's just a great guy. Uh, thanks to him again for taking the time and being on. Sponsors for today's show, Yeti Coolers. Yeti is just a game changer. Um, to have those coolers that keep ice longer, they just extend my hunt. And and whether I'm hunting solo or by myself, you know, I can be hunting way back in the backcountry and have a Yeti cooler sitting in my truck full of ice. So when I kill that deer, I can bring them back. I can get them on ice. I can get them cooled down because I hunt a lot of hot weather, hot season hunts. And that Yeti, it, it just changes the way I can keep meat. And also, if you've got two guys hunting, you know, one guy can ice their meat and you can get three, four days out of it, keeping it cool and continue to hunt for your buddies. So maybe you can both be successful. I always like to mention that the coolers are a, a bear proof container. So, you know, up here in Montana in the wilderness and national forest, you have to store your food in a bear proof container or you have to hang it in a tree. What is it? 10 feet up, four feet away from the base, which is really tough to find a branch that'll do that. Or you could just have a Yeti cooler and throw a lock on it, and it's a bear-proof container. Um, so it's such an asset when you're camping in national forests and wilderness to keep bears out of your food and also to keep from getting a ticket, um, you know, to be storing your food the correct way. Uh, so I, I love the coolers. They keep ice longer. They've got tons of other accessories. I've got a utility box that's now sitting in the back of my truck with a bunch of tools and camping things. Um, gosh, they've got their, their ramblers and their tumblers. I have all of them. I have their coffee cup. It'll keep my coffee hot for the entire day. Uh, I've got their thermos. Um, that'll keep coffee for the entire day warm. Um, just so many great products that just change the way I, I go about hunting. So thanks to Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. If you're in the market for a new Yeti cooler, uh, oh, I also just got uh, one of the soft side coolers. So you guys have heard me refer to these in Hawaii as my meat purse. Uh, so this is the way I bring meat back when I travel on planes is I freeze it solid and then I bring it in a soft side cooler. It counts as a carry on bag. Um, so you don't even get charged for it. Carry it onto the airline. You store it. I mean, I came all the way back from New Zealand with meat, um, back from Hawaii where it's 90 degrees or 85 degrees when you leave, all the way in the plane across the ocean. Meat's still frozen when I get home. So 
just a game changer. Make sure to check them out. That soft side cooler is that new one that I have that I really like too. Um, other sponsor for today's show. Uh, so, actually, I wrote it down. I got uh, my my train of thought got lost there. Um, but uh, High Mountain Seasonings. Um, this is just a great company. I really like High Mountain Seasonings. I really enjoy making my own jerky, and they've got so many different jerky marinades. So. I've got like six new flavors sitting upstairs, so uh, you know the next animal that I harvest, I'm going to make a bunch of jerky, and it's just a good way to eat up your meat. I make mine in the dehydrator, but these seasoning packet kits, they just make it easy, great flavor for your jerky. They really have everything for game processing, so they have... Um, you know, the casings for, for meat sticks or um, snack sticks. They've got casings for salami. They've got uh, stuffers. They've got um, steak marinades. You can get really good steak marinades where you throw them in a, those steaks in a Ziploc with the marinade in them, let them sit overnight, and they really soak in that flavor, and uh, they just turn out pro the next day. And uh, you don't have to, to mess with figuring out how you're going to season them. So, uh, make sure to check them out for all your game needs. High Mountain Seasonings, we really appreciate the support. And with that, let's see. Over there at Eastman's, gosh, we've got uh, ideas just flowing right now. Um, I'm working on a new article for the Eastman's Hunting Journal. I always like getting in the Hunting Journal. Um, so I got an article I'm working on now for that. And um, gosh, we're we're really thinking a, a good well, great guests for the podcast, people that we really want to get on and talk to and release to you guys and, and really our niche, like I know our niche is next level hunting information. Um, and, and so I just want to get on those guys that are consistently successful and, and do those deep dives on, on hunting out West or hunting public lands and whether it's with a bow or a rifle, it's just, you know, I know if I'm really interested in it and intrigued by it and soaking up all the information, I know you guys will too. And so those are the guys that I that I want to strive to get on. And so uh, we've got a good list going. We're going to get a, a bunch of new guests here on the podcast. Going to work really hard here before hunting season to get a bunch recorded. That way I can disappear and focus on uh, hunting. Uh, so it is a little self-serving, but uh, no, I just want to. I just want to get some great guests, some great content recorded, and and it's nice to hunting season to put your entire focus into the hunt. And so you know, I want to have a few built up and be a ahead of the game a little bit. So um, gonna work really hard doing that. See videos. Uh, always be on the lookout for the Beyond the Grid. They're great. Uh, Dan Picard works really hard on that to to put out great episodes. I caught one on Instagram the other day where I flipped my phone sideways and then I watched Dan Picard's High Country Mule Deer Hunt in Wyoming. He just made this stock on this buck, but he was so patient. This buck walked right at him and kind of walked almost with broadside. And Dan just held off. He didn't try to draw and get busted. He let the buck come over the hill. And then the buck got to like where his wind was, spooked from his wind, and spooked out, but he had never made a move, and the buck ran out and stopped, and he pinwheeled it, shot it right in the heart. Uh, it was just a great video. It was like 10 minutes. I watched it on Instagram, but you can find it on the Beyond the Grid, and I believe that was an episode on the Outdoor Channel as well, just edited a little bit different 
you know, I'm not positive on that. Don't quote me on that. Here I get at the end of my intro and I I mess it up by saying something that isn't true or might not be true. But uh, we let's get into this podcast. So this podcast with Henry Ferguson is a great one. You guys will really enjoy it. Uh, let's unlock the secrets between all those giant bucks that that uh, Henry kills. So um, uh, Henry Ferguson, uh, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. I'm live here. I've got Henry Ferguson on the phone. Um, so I uh, I texted Henry this morning and called him Tony all morning. <laughs> he was nice enough to correct me, but thanks for being on this morning, Henry. Uh, we we met at the Western Hunting Expo, and then uh, I've just been following your social media for a couple years, and I just get a, a big kick out of it, and you're sure a, a consistent killer with that bow in your hands. I'm happy to have you on, man. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. I've been listening for quite a while, and uh just happy to be here yeah you're gonna answer to tony the whole podcast right if if i need to absolutely yeah <laughs> and you know i'm just i'm going to put this in the context of you think i'm tony treach and it's maybe the best compliment anybody could pay me so you know <laughs> i'll just go with it <laughs> oh it's so funny um yeah, gosh, you just like, uh, you know, you remember a face or sometimes too with these Instagram names, you remember the Instagram name is, is yes. how I know you, uh, which, uh, yours is great. Uh, Chief Wackabuck, is that what it is? Well, it's Big Chief Wackabuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Chief Wackabuck's actually another guy. Oh, okay. So that's the funny thing. There is a guy in Texas who goes by Chief Wackabuck and he followed me. We followed each other several years ago and have kind of laughed about that, but. You know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, you talk about the Hunt Expo or Total Archery Challenge, any of these big gatherings of, of hunters. Wouldn't it be great if everybody wore a name tag that had two names on it, their name and then their Instagram handle? I mean, oh. <laughs> it would make life so much easier. Uh, you are so. on to something there, Henry. Like, we need to implement <laughs> this in these shoots. You're right, because then their names would just stick with the faces. Uh, you'd, I, I'd know who I'm talking to, and I try to remember each and every person you talk to. But like you say, you run into a few hundred hardcore guys, and you know you yeah. have a couple conversations. And then to try to put it together with their Instagram name and their real name it, is dang near impossible sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I, you know, what would be ideal is to have it on your hat, right on the front of your hat, and there'd be no question about it. It'd just be great. I think I think that should become like required equipment. Yeah, I and think you're you, on to something. Obviously, you'd have the grumpy old man who are like, oh, I don't do no Instagram or social media. I ain't got time for that. But, you know, and then they could write that on there as well. It could just be like uh, Bill Smith grumpy old man you know i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> right bill smith no smoke no social media <laughs> just exactly. that'd be it yeah. <laughs> you just know that that's bill and you're good to go and that's all you need to know that's, that's probably all you need to know about bill that's so. right it, it is just such a great community of hunters though i love going to those it shoots really and those shows and uh just how how passionate and friendly everybody is like uh, i've really enjoyed that and this past year was the first time that i've actually gone to the shows and um i had a good time there yeah that was my second time i've gone to the hunt uh, to the hunt expo and i love it i mean it's just it's such a cool like you said it's such a cool community of people i mean there's 
there's there's so many people that are trying to paint social media in such a, a negative or bad light. I can honestly tell you, I have made some really, really great friends over social media. Now, granted, I'm not looking at it to hook up with people to, you know, find old girlfriends. I mean, that's there. I look at it this way. Those are old girlfriends for a good reason. <laughs> they can stay in that category and in that file. And I'm sure I am in the same file for them for the, for probably the same reasons. And that's fine. But, but truthfully, it, it's just so cool to be able to, man, I mean, who doesn't love opening weekend of hunting season? When you get back to, you get back to cell service, pop open Instagram and, I mean, you just see all these people that you've gotten to know over the years. You get to see instant feedback of what their hunting season's like, the highs, the lows, and I, I just think it's great. I do too. I love it. Yeah, you get a glimpse into their life, a glimpse into their hunting season. It's really fun to share your own personal things and um, share them with people. And it's it's like minded. Like there's so much support there. It seems like like all the 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 real guys there. There's a lot of positivity. And so yeah, I mean, social media they highlight the negatives, but there's a ton of positives. I've met a ton of nice guys from social media and hunted with a bunch of guys from there. I love following them. It gives me motivation. And then it's just like you can't – it's like anything with life. You just can't get too addicted to those things. Those cell phones are so addictive in today's day and age that you have to have discipline with it, you know, and you have to have – discipline with the social media as well you know limiting your time limiting the amount of checks so i enjoy it and i enjoy to scroll through it but i'm just careful not to fall in that pitfall of spending too much time on it or too much time on my phone during the day or during that week like i i gotta get things done too and make money and you know do everything i need to do for hunting season and like um you know i just notice sometimes you look at that screen time and it just scares the heck out of you <laughs> Yeah, I don't document my screen time. I don't, <laughs> I don't keep track of that for pretty solid reasons why. But no, it's you're right. I mean, like anything, there's there's a rabbit hole that you can go down and you can kind of lose track of it. But, uh, you know, if you keep it all in check, keep it in moderation, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah, a healthy relationship with it. And it's one of exactly. those things, too, yeah. with phones are such uh, – they're so entertaining nowadays, too. So a lot of times, yeah. you know, I can be looking on my phone and looking at maps or looking up stuff on the internet or doing things, and that's my entertainment instead of watching the TV. So I spend that hour that I would have been watching the TV, I spend it on my phone, but I'm still being entertained. And so, you know, I think when, when you look at that screen time, sometimes it's a little scary, but you also realize that, hey, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my phone and using it as entertainment too. Yeah, it's not all it, it's not all a waste of time. I mean, there's definitely, it, you know, it's made us all so much more productive in so many different ways. I mean, like you said, you you can multitask by looking at maps and stuff on there. I mean, having access to emails. I mean, gosh, I'm at the archery range half half the time. I I'm stopping and I'm sending a work email from you know between targets, and it just allows you to the flexibility to do that. Oh, it does. It, um, yeah, I used to back in the olden days, you'd have to get home and you'd have to check your messages, check your emails, yeah. fire back. Like it was a, 
a whole process you had to do in the evening or early in the morning where now you're right. You just take care of things in real time. And and yeah. I think sometimes it's good to get away from your phone and totally be away from it and just tell everybody you're going to be gone. But a lot of times I'm able to hunt more days and get more done because I'm able to fire off that work email at 10 in the morning. Everything's taken care of. I know I've got the rest of the day or the next day, but I'm able to take care of things in real times, sometimes even on the hunt, which makes a difference. Yeah, and so for years, the spots that I've hunted, I've had like – zero service or i'll have it on like a couple of select high ridge tops well last couple of years there's been an increase in service back there they're pointing towers in different directions and all of a sudden i am like the most productive person in the world during hunting season because let's face it i've got hours every morning that i'm sitting there glassing and if i'm sitting there glassing and just pretty much stationary Boy, it's, it doesn't take too much effort to kind of shift my focus for a couple minutes, send an email, and then just get right back in the glass and find the animals again. Well, it's nice, too, because it kind of puts it out of your head. If you have something that's um, that's <clears throat> weighing on you or that you're thinking about that you need to take care of, like you're sitting there glassing and you're hunting and you need to be immersed in the experience – but all of a yeah. sudden your brain will keep drifting over to this email you have to send or this thing you have to get done. And like you say, it takes two minutes out of your day. You send it off. Exactly. It's done. Then it's totally out of your mind. There's no more I have to do this or I have to get this out or send this text or do whatever. You're just back in the hunt focusing on the hunt. So I'm with you. I think it's a good thing most of the time. Yeah, but again, you know, in moderation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's like anything, you know, uh, uh, you know, people abuse alcohol, even though alcohol can yeah. be used responsibly, you know, food, you know, you could go down yeah. and down the list and cell phones, just another one of those items um, that it, that is really handy. It makes us more productive. It adds a lot of positives to our lives, but it's just something you got to keep in check. You got to check yourself every now and again. That is absolutely right. Yeah. Well, um, man, uh, you got a good season coming up. You draw some tags so far. I am. I am thrilled. Yeah. It. I. I, I drew. I mean, aside from Utah giving me a general tag instead of the uh, the limited entry tag that I've just been sure I was going to draw for the last couple of years. I can't complain. I mean, I've got a. I've got archery, deer, elk, and antelope here in Colorado, and then a uh, general deer tag over in utah so i'm i'm thrilled my wife and son have <clears throat> they both drew uh rifle bull tags here in colorado so we uh we're gonna put some meat in the freezer this year man how cool uh i love um seeing you hunt with your son is that is that your only boy henry it is yeah it's our it's our only kid and he uh he's just been he's been consumed by this since he was really really little i mean you know his first first word was deer and he's uh he's just kind of it's just been a huge part of his life and um it's so fun to be able to pass on something that means so much to you to your kids and i've watched you doing the same thing with your daughters over the years and it's just it's neat to be able to see that next generation coming in so strong Oh, it is neat. Yeah, it it's neat to see him connect with what you love, like you stated, um, you know, and connect with it and see the joy. And then like just sharing that adventure with him. It's like today's 
day and age, you know, with the cell phones. And, like, it just seems like everything's so safe in the cities and the cell phones. But when you get out in nature, out to the woods, like, you're responsible for for your own well-being and your own safety. And I, I don't know. I just think, like, the, the world feels so nerfed sometimes. But it feels like when I get out in the mountains, like, I feel like I'm free. And – and I, I feel like I'm almost like a little kid again. And so to be able to share that with my kids and see them be free in the woods and make their own decisions, man, is that fun. Yeah, and I, I just think it's important that we all have some a hobby of some sort, any sort, that just gives you the opportunity to disconnect from everything that kind of weighs you down, you know. And, I mean, life is kind of designed like that, so – so really, it's I, I think it's just great, you know, and again, being able to see, I think the coolest thing is being able to see the hunt and see what it means through somebody else's eyes, because it's all, even though he's been on a lot of hunts with me and his mom over the years, him experiencing having that gun in his hands and putting the crosshairs right where he needed it to be and having the discipline to stay calm, take a breath, and then put a bullet right where those crosshairs were, you know? I mean, it, it's it's pretty cool to be able to to see them experience that. And and I just there was there's nothing that I've experienced in my life to prepare me for how awesome that was going to be. Boy, that's the truth. I'm just smiling ear to ear as you say it, Henry, because it connects with me as well. And it's just different when they're behind the rifle and in control of it oh, and yeah. making the shot. It's a different adrenaline rush than just going on a hunt. And That um, is for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for for both you and your kid because, you you know, and I, I've said this before on, on other, you know, social media and on podcasts and whatnot, but you have your own experience. You know, Brian, when you – draw back on an animal, you know what kind of shot's going to take place. You know how the nerves affect you because you've put yourself in that situation a number of times. What you don't know is how your wife or kid are going to react in that situation. And it's it's just kind of one of those things where you're hoping, but you're sitting there with bated breath just waiting for that outcome. And so when they do and when they come through and just pound them, I mean, man, it's it's awesome. I mean, it is truly one of the coolest one of the coolest things you can experience in life. Oh, it, it is. And you want it so bad for your kids. And public land hunting is really tough out there. And you have to work at it. And and me and you, we know the payoff. We, we've tasted success. We know that, you know, if we put hard work in, like, eventually we're going to get an opportunity. We're going to find that success or at least have a chance. Um, but, but for them, it, it, it's all new in their eyes and you want to give them a positive experience and you want them to work hard for it, but you don't want them to go for 10 days and not see anything either. You want them to have some excitement. So I find myself like working extremely hard to create opportunities for them, whether it's scouting or thinking of areas or hunting with them. And I want it so bad. I would almost give up my opportunities for the next month or give up my opportunities for the season just to have a spike buck walk out. You know, I, I just do anything for them just to have that encounter. And then once it comes to the shot, like you say, you're just baited breath and you're trying to give them the right instructions and you're, you're trying to keep calm and say, okay, 
breathe and you're trying to monitor them and you know put the crosshairs on and just squeeze if it's not right you know don't worry but you're trying to give them advice throughout the shot but you want it so bad for your kids it's like i could never shoot i could go my whole life and never shoot another animal and be happy as long as i can just get them this opportunity and just you know if they could just hit it and and my girls have done great you know you pre- you prepare them right and it seems like they make shots, and everybody messes up, and everybody misses. But um, it seems like when you prepare them right for the encounter, uh, and it comes together, I mean, it feels like magic. But it, you kind of set them up for success, I think. Yeah, and and you know we're we're products of our practice. I, I've always felt that because if we practice good habits and we are consistent in practicing our good habits, then that's what. And, and I coach my son's lacrosse team, and I always tell them, uh, we talk about this a lot in practice. When in when you're in stressful situations, you fall back on your practice. You fall back on your habits. And if you build good habits through practice, then you can reap, you know, great success and great results in your uh, in those times of those stressful situations. But you know, my my son's rifle hunt this year for uh, for deer was was just great. I mean, he had just come off a, a successful hunt for cow elk and he drew zero tags this year, which was pretty frustrating. <laughs> um, but, but I was able to pick up two, well, I was able to pick up a turn back in um, cow tag. And so we went out, got him a cow after like four or five days of hard hunting. He had put in a lot of miles and I mean a lot of miles had to overcome things like, you know, a dad who's terrible at elk hunting um, <laughs> and a dad who – and the, the details are fuzzy on this one, but the, a dad who might or might not have forgotten to take the gun out one evening. But let's – I don't want to get bogged down <laughs> in that because, well, first of all, it makes me look terrible. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I legitimately forgot the gun one night. And then the next <laughs> night I remembered it and, you know – it ended uh, pretty well then, but oh, Henry, uh, you're just thinking over so many details, and then you forget the biggest oh, yeah. one. <laughs> Seriously, Here, here's the crazy thing. I, you know, we're putting the gun back in the safe and stuff, you know, putting it in the case, and so I had to step over it to get out to the truck that night, and I somehow managed to step over it and didn't even give it a second thought. So anyway. <laughs> Fast forward a couple of weeks, you know, we still don't have a deer tag. And the night before the uh, fourth season opened, I get a text from a from a friend and he says, hey, if you're still looking for a deer tag for your son, I've got a landowner tag that just popped up. If you want it, it's yours. I'm like, absolutely. And he goes, do you want to know what area it is? I said, I don't even care. <laughs> I just we just want to get out there and have a chance to hunt, you know, and so. So we ended up meeting. I met him the next day, picked up the tag, and our fourth season's only five days long here. So we couldn't hunt the first two days. Um, he just had had stuff going on at school that he couldn't miss. So we got out Friday morning, and in the meantime, I am pouring over maps, man. I mean, I am like geeking out on Onyx maps. Got several different spots marked, and I've never hunted this area ever. So. We went out, spent, uh, got up way early in the morning, drove on up there, and first spot we checked, saw a whole bunch of antelope. That was cool. That was 
that was neat. You know, we're seeing animals. We're kind of in the game. And the next, we were on our way to the second spot, and I saw this hillside that, you know, I just looked up, and I'm like, that just looks, as you say, you know, bucky. Like, there's got to be something up there. So I stopped, um, you know, pulled off the road, hiked up a bit to get to a vantage point and took a quick look. And, oh, my gosh, I saw deer. So, you know, we I run back to the truck, grab the spotting scope, grab Kyle. And he's been telling me all along, ah, you know, just any any nice three to four point. I'll I'll be fine with it. (laughs) You know, like you said earlier, I'm like, man. Buddy, if we see a spike, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the code red. <laughs> you drop that thing like a bad habit. So, as it turns out, the first and only buck we saw this whole hunt was a four point. So we go into scramble mode, and I mean we're we're a mile and a half from these deer at this point, and you know I just made sure my truck was off the road and safe, and then grabbed my backpack. <laughs> grabbed his gun. <laughs> Good work. That this time. Yeah. And I mean, literally we just, we went, we, we just kind of ran for about the first mile of it to get up there and just close distance. Cause he was about to drop down into a Canyon and I just don't know what it's going to look like there. So when we got up there, things happened really fast. I mean, we spotted the does he was with, then a whole bunch more does came busting out of that canyon and meanwhile we're up at the top of the ridge i've got him on the shooting sticks you know and i'm like just stay calm that buck's gonna come out might happen pretty fast and sure enough the buck jumps up shows himself at like 210 yards and i said all right he's the he's the deer on the bottom right deer on the bottom right and he sits there gets in the you know he's already got a round in the chamber he goes, got him, got him, got him. Then he turns back and he, he kind of whispers out of the side of his mouth. He goes, fire in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here going, are you kidding me? And he drops him one shot and just pounds him right in the center of the shoulder. I mean, it was, it was a perfect shot. And it, again, you talk about, you talk about the experience that it creates for your kids and the confidence that it can give them in other facets and, in other facets of life, you know, I mean, it's, he came through in, in a situation that makes a lot of grown men crumble. And, you know, it, not only did he make an accurate shot, he made an accurate shot in a really short amount of time because we knew that buck wasn't going to stay there for long. All the does were moving off and it, it was just cool to see your kid come through and know that you know, even though he's he's 13 now and, you know, it, 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 well, he's a 13 year old boy. Not much more needs to be said, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, he's a good kid still. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of those things that he can look back on those situations and know that you're creating those you're creating those memories and those those positive reinforcing things that they can look back at later in life and know that there's that they can come through when the chips are down. 
Man, absolutely. Yeah, come through yeah. under high pressure, you know. Uh, looking back at you and saying fire in the hole is great. You know, the kid just handles pressure. But uh, again, it comes to setting these kids up for success. And when I was young, my dad did a great job of getting me out in the woods and, and teaching me about the woods. But we just didn't spend too much time with the rifle or we made sure it was sighted in and that was about it. And I, I just really didn't get too much in instruction and we were in the Pacific Northwest and it was pretty much if you see a deer, you better shoot at it, you know, if you see a buck. And uh, yeah, in that same scenario, I may have unloaded my gun a couple times and never hit that deer, you know, and it would take me years later of learning the hard way of executing shots and, um, you know, being able to get a good rest and, and just learning all that stuff. But when we can introduce our kids to that, I think it it really sets them up for success. And then that moment is theirs forever, like you say, that they can build on. You know, it, it's so cool to be able to share it with them. Oh, it is. It is. I mean, that was that was a lot of fun. That's something that I can't wait to be able to get back out there and, and do it again. I mean, that's and the great thing is, you know, at this point in his life, he he likes shooting his bow, but he's not really a bow hunter. And and my attitude is, I don't care what weapon he's hunting with, as long as he wants to go out and hunt, I am totally fine with it. And I think, I think too, rifles are great for, especially for kids, because you're, you want to get them some success, and you want them to be able to taste that, taste that success. And let's face it, I mean, bow hunting's hard. <laughs> I mean, it just is. You know, there's 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 so many things that have to go right to be able to get a shot with a bow. And there's so many things that you, it's a little bit more forgiving with a rifle. You know, you can, you can get away with a bit more and, and still, still have things come together. Man, I'm the same so, way. I have the same thought process process on it, Henry. And I, my kids, I've got them shooting bows and they shot tur tournaments and they're real accurate, but you know, their their range is less effective range just because they don't have as much energy in the arrows or the bows or their skill level isn't up there, you know, yet. But you're right. Bow hunting is so difficult that bow hunting's almost an evolution of a hunter. Like I don't – you just don't start with the bow. And you're right. You want to hook your kids into hunting in the outdoors. And so – you want to get them a little bit of success. And so walking around with that rifle just, you know, it doesn't ensure it for sure, but it gives them a better opportunity to have some success and have that excitement. And then once they they feel that excitement and, and the reward of working hard towards something and getting it like your son's deer, you know, that's what hooks them on hunting in the outdoors. Now, you know, this year he knows those feelings of success success and he's ready to put in the hard work and earn it again but with a bow and arrow you got to be a glutton for punishment you're you're gonna fail a lot you got years of failing in front of you before you can pull it together and and maybe you know you shorten the learning curve and within a couple of years you're gaining opportunities but I'm with you. I think it's so important. I've had my girls out bow hunting a little bit, but I always save time for that rifle season because I know, you know, they're going to have a good chance of success. We can spend some time together and they're going to get some of those adrenaline filled moments that we're all looking for, you know? So, man, I, I'm the same way. I think that's the way to start them off. And, and really, I think hunters out there, I think most guys should start with a rifle too. Um, oh, I, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, I've always I've always kind of looked at, at bow hunting a lot like sales. You've got to you've got to become comfortable with hearing no, 
because there's a, a lot of times, I mean, you can do so many things right and still not end up with an opportunity uh, on something that looked like a sure thing, you know, and that's, that's just kind of bow hunting. I mean, that's, and I don't know. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit I'm not very good at bow hunting. I'm just somebody who doesn't quit. I don't give up. And that's, that's what has led me to any success I've ever had. It's just been that I just don't, I don't stop. I don't take no for an answer. I just keep, keep working at it until I run out of days or, you know, I finally find success. And, and that's just kind of how, how I hunt. And it's, it's funny because I look at some people who are, you know, tagging out opening morning and stuff and I hate good for them, but I'm just not that guy. Typically. (laughs) I mean, it, it takes me, it takes me a few, um, failed stocks before, before things come together for the most part. And, you know, and I, I, I think that's awesome because it, it lets you, it lets you get deeper into the hunt. It gives you more experience with it. And I, you know, success just means a bit more once you, when you, when you've really gone through some failures. Man, I'm just glad I'm not the only one, Henry. Like, um, that, that's what, that's what my hunting season is. I've always said that, that, that perseverance is deadly. Like, the only thing that keeps me killing things is I keep trying. I keep out there. I keep putting forth the effort. I keep looking for an opportunity. But really, that's my secret to success. But it's easy. You know, on social media, we we post all our positives, and so it's easy for me to look at your social media, Henry, and go, God, that Henry is such a killer. He just finds a big buck and it dies. You know, he just sneaks in and arrows it. Like, God, that guy must be so good at stalking and shooting. What's my problem? You know, or like, um, it it's just it's so difficult that yeah, and to kill a big buck, like finding a big buck is one thing, killing a big buck. It is a totally different thing, and I have found so many giant deer over the years that I have not killed, and you make your best play, you rely upon your instincts, you try to be smart and methodical about it, try to make a good approach, but the truth of the matter is, no matter how good I get, I still fail on on bucks, on stocks. Uh, heck, I, I fail on shots if I don't pay attention to my execution, if I don't keep my mantras in my head. Like, I'll go in there and then just airball a shot. Like it, And I think that's why I love it, too, is because bow hunting takes constant effort and constant work to be proficient at it, you know? And just like we were talking, you were so busy this weekend, but you got out early in the morning to go get some reps in on your bow. You got in late at night to go get some reps in on your bow. Like... Being a successful bow hunter is a lifestyle. And that's that's so true. That is so true. And and I've always felt that if it means enough to you, you'll find time. You'll find a way to to overcome all the other stuff, all the other distractions that you have. Or and and I mean not even just distractions, but commitments. You know, I mean, man, we all have to work for a living. I don't you know, I don't come from a, a trust fund family. Hey, don't get me wrong. There's times I wish I did. And, and those times are usually right around hunting season. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, m- like most people, we work for a living and you find the time. You just have to find the time. I mean, if it means enough to you, you, you figure it out. And, I, you know, I, I've followed you long enough to know that you've got a really supportive family that that makes that possible. And I'm 
pretty lucky that I have the same and that, but it's, uh, it's something that just means the world to me. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, I've been doing it for so long and it, it's become just a, a part, it becomes a part of who you are. And I, I think that's a great thing because you, when you run into somebody like yourself, you know, that's like-minded and you go through these, you know, and last year I decided, you know what, I'm going to show my hunt story. And I kind of documented it on almost a daily basis of the highs and lows of hunting season. And I was hunting one buck and I was hunting one buck that was a superior being to me. Um, he was smarter. He was, he, he was just a smarter buck. And I blew, I blew opportunities right and left on that buck. And I, I was pretty forthcoming on social media with exactly what happened of, Hey, I got in here today, snuck into 20 or actually snuck into 17 yards, got a 27 yard shot as he was trying to slip away. And the buck reacted to the sound of the shot. Simple as that. He dropped. I shot an arrow cleanly through the back straps. Worst feeling I have had in years. I mean, I hate to trivialize the rest of my life and say that <laughs> was the worst I've had, but in, in recent memory, that was the lowest I've had. And I mean, it was gut wrenching knowing that I'd practiced for years for this, for this very moment. But, you know, I made a good shot. I know I made a good shot and you can't control how the animal reacts. So he dropped, I shot it through his back straps and you know what? I was honest about it on social media. I said, this is what happened. It sucked. It was, it was a gut wrenching feeling. And I just thought I'd bring a little truth and advertising back to things, you know, of, Hey, it's not always one stock and it, and the season's over. Um, in fact, in my experience, it usually isn't that. So it was, it was kind of cool to be able to document all that and share it with people because I got a lot of, I got a lot of really positive feedback on that talking about how, you know, a lot of people just feel like a successful hunter is like a unicorn, you know, it's something they just can't, they can't relate to. And, and then when they start seeing that, uh, and I, I, I ran into a lot of guys on league night this year in the off season who are going, who were following along with that story. And, and, and thanked me for, for being honest about the, you know, kind of the warts and all sort of, sort of story to, to how, how I told it. So, oh, it's but so yeah, it, was, it was fun. I wouldn't change a thing about it other than, you know, having that buck stay stationary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, it's so authentic and honest that people connect with it. And it's wild. This podcast has taught me that too, that just the more honest you are about yourself, your feelings, your shots, the way things go down, the more people relate with you. Cause you're right. We're not a unicorn. We just, you just work hard, create opportunities exactly. and it comes together. And we've been doing it for enough years that we've been building our skill set for a long time, but you're right. It's not that we just decide we're going to kill that buck and it all comes together. And you know, we kill that buck on the first stock make a perfect shot and he drops like that's what we want yes but it just doesn't that's always goal, go down yeah. that way <laughs> and uh yeah i think that's so great to share that with guys um and, and two yeah it's 
um, you know, bow hunting takes you to the highest highs when you're successful because it is so difficult and you put so much into it. You practice and prepare your round. But but the adverse of that is bow hunting will also take you to your lowest lows when you put oh, yeah. that much into it and then you hit a buck bad. And like you say, you can do everything right. You were so close to that buck, you know, didn't know you're there, whatever the scenario. You got a good shot at him, you know, and he ducked the string. Man, I've had that happen with 200-inch deer that are the deer of a lifetime that I've been backing backpacking for for a week. And you finally get that opportunity, and that thing ducks and rolls and spins and gets out of the way of the arrow, and you miss clean even though you did everything right. And that's bow hunting. It's just not perfect. Well, mine wasn't quite 200 inches. He uh, he officially scored 198. But, uh... <laughs> what a great buck. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. How good did it feel to put that together? So what happened well, on that one, Henry? So you hit him in the backstrap and then take the story from there. Uh, he died in rifle season. That's the story. That's the, the end of the story. But, uh, yeah, I, I stayed on that deer. I did not see him for five days after that. And I was out there for those five days, glassing the hillside that he called home. And he'd been in, he'd been on the same hill all, all summer long. Um, but he was a solo buck all summer. He was, he, I saw him with one other deer one time. Every other time I saw that buck and I scout a lot. I spent a lot of time out in the woods and he, uh, I literally saw him with one other deer one time. Other than that, he was a totally solo buck and I was, I was just sure it was going to happen, you know, and made a, made a good shot, had a poor result and, I mean, you you know, it was one of those gut-wrenching feelings that at the end of the day, I knew I did all I could, but sometimes it's uh, just not in the, not meant to be, and that was the case. But I, I got three more stocks on him throughout the rest of the season and found myself at under 30 yards twice and at 60 or 70 another time, and just couldn't get a shot off in the brush wind swirled you know i mean it, it was just a it was it was a lot of learning experiences and then uh i i'd committed to not stalking another deer until at least two weeks into the season and so i found myself two weeks into the season with all these other great bucks around and me still with a tag in my pocket and having not stocked anything other than that buck. And I, I was talking with a buddy of mine, Mike, and he said, you know, and I told him, I said, man, it's been a lot of fun, but I think I'm ready to just go out and kill a good buck. And he talked me into it. And he said, he says, look, you've got to be, you've got to stay strong on this. You've got to stay consistent. Give it, give it another week. You still have two weeks left. And so ultimately I did, I gave it another week and did not, I mean, I, I stayed on that deer again and just watched him as often as I could and got another stock on him and it just didn't go my way. But, uh, ultimately the third, the third week of the season, the end of the third week, beginning of the fourth week, I, I did stock another buck that we called bedhead because he had a, he looked like he'd like gone to fell asleep with wet velvet antlers. So one side of his head just grew up like straight up out of his head. 
and the other side grew out normal. But um, he was just a really trashy buck, and he's one that we've watched for a couple of years and kind of develop. And so I got a stock on him that took me into 10 feet, and he was just in this hole, and I couldn't get a shot at him at 10 stinking feet, Brian. I mean, I felt like a ninja for my stocking skills, but I couldn't get a shot. And so anyway, he, uh, we set up a bump on him. So when I, when he took off out of the, out of that bed and ran off, he ran right over to where my buddy Mike was sitting. And well, we'll just put it this way. Neither of us killed the buck that day, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, six days later, I was back out there with my son and we spotted bedhead again and he was out by himself and I'm like, okay. A lone deer on the last weekend of the hunt and a good buck at that. This is too good to be true with my son there. So we, we snuck into, um, I think the shot was like 32 or 33 yards and we spotted him two miles away, literally on, on the other side of our truck. So we'd gone up one hill and truck was down in the valley, came back. Um, we watched him all morning. We watched him till like 1130 and no, uh, he wasn't moving. He, he bedded in this spot. And I thought for sure this was a first bed kind of situation, but, uh, he just stayed, stayed in his spot. And we, uh, went back down to the truck, took the unnecessary stuff out of the packs and, you know, geared up for the stock and went, uh, climbed up the other hill other side of the valley and came up over the top. And when we were slipping down in there in our socks and it was, it was so cool to, to look over and see the excitement in my son's eyes, you know, as we we're, we knew we were getting close. And as it turns out, I mean, you know, I peeked over, over this little, this little bench and he was bedded right down below us in the brush. And when I, 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 kind of tapped Kyle on the shoulder and pointed down there. He peeked over and saw him when he looked back. I mean, his eyes were just huge. You know, it's, as you know, I mean, the intensity of getting that close on an animal is, is just awesome. And so one quick shot and man, I mean, I, I couldn't have walked up there and poked him in, you know, behind the shoulder any better than I hit him. And he, he was, he went, he took like seven big strides down the hill and we watched him, watched him fall over. I mean, it was, it was great. And, you know, being able to, being able to experience it with my son was awesome. But knowing that, you know, even the last weekend of the hunt, if you stay consistent, you can still find success on a good deer if you're, if you put yourself in that right position. So it was, it was a great season. I, I loved it. Like I said, I, I sure wish that big buck wouldn't have, wouldn't have ducked this ducked on me, but it was, it was such a great ending that I, I just, I'd have a hard time changing anything about the season. How cool. (laughs) I've had hunts like that too, where I'll miss a big buck and I find redemption at the end of the hunt. I work really hard. And you know, after I find that redemption, the buck may not been as big as the one I missed or the one I was after, but in the end I get done and I say, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about that hunt. I got a true adventure. Um, you know, and a lot of times, you know, when you make a bad shot or the shot doesn't go right, 
it seems like you'd do anything to have that opportunity back. I find my mind, like I just start thinking, God, if I just had that chance again, it was so tough to yeah. create. Like, God, it, and you almost feel like you're never going to create it again. You feel like you've been working so hard for that moment. It came together and you blew it. Like that was my chance oh, yeah. or my opportunity. That was it. But that it's almost it. I'll like never get it again. Yeah. yeah, that's what you feel like. That's the thoughts that go through your head. And it's almost like the, you know, like what happened on your buck. It's almost the quicker that you can put it out of your head and go, I just got to get back to hunting and then start focusing on this next opportunity I'm going to have and on redemption. You know, and after I can kind of get back into that, the, the pain doesn't hurt quite as bad. I'm back in the hunt. I'm back focusing. I actually shoot my best after something like that when I am so focused on redemption and so focused on making a good shot. It seems like that's when I when I make my best shots and you just you can't have them back. It's a moment in time. It happened. Now the only thing you can do is control your attitude. Yeah. So those are you. You said three great things there. I mean, first of all, knowing that you can come back and make a good shot later. I mean, that's something that comes through experience. It comes from having put yourself into those situations before, not just as a hunter, but maybe as a tournament archer. You know, I mean, let's face it. We've all made a bad shot on the range before and had to had to come back and figure out how to how to start making points back, you know, Um, and that's, you know, and you also said it's it's a. you feel like it's the end, you know, it, it, there's, there's always more opportunities if you're willing to work for them. And it's just a matter of how bad you want it and how badly you're willing to, you know, to suffer, <laughs> to put yourself back into that situation to find success. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just cool. And I, I love it. I just think, I think bow hunting and hunting in general is just kind of a, a good analogy for the way, the way we live the rest of our lives and, you know, how hard we're willing to work to, to find success. And you look at the numbers out there and you look at the odds and the, the statistics and they tell you that not everybody's willing to pay that price. Gosh, it's so true, Henry. Like that sums up public land hunting. It's what you're willing to put into it. It's what you're willing to do to prepare. And then it's what you're willing to endure and suffer out there. Like that's public land hunting. Like that's how you find consistent success is you just keep working your butt off. At least that's the only way I've ever found it. And it's nice to hear it coming from you that you're the same way. It's just, it's perseverance. It's persistence. It's keeping out there. You're, you're just keep trying to create those opportunities. And it's amazing what can happen if you're just out there. If you just put yourself out in the mountains, like maybe you won't see anything or maybe you'll get into the biggest rut party and find the biggest bull you've ever seen or you'll find you know the biggest buck hanging in a bachelor group you don't find that unless you put forth that effort and you get out there but once you're out there boy anything can happen the public land is just wild out there it is and that's that's what i love about it is i mean to a certain extent it's the uncertainty of it all you know you don't know what you're going to find out there but you know that if you stick with it, you're going to find something cool and you're going to create a you're going to create memories that it's it's hard to duplicate. You know, it's just hard to find those anywhere else. And I, I guess some people find it with mountain biking or, or whatever, you know, and we just happen to have a, a different way of going about it. But you just got to have you got to find something that you're passionate about and just 
chase it as far as you can. Yeah, uh, well, and that's why I feel so lucky. Like guys like me and you have found a place to put our energy, to put our effort, to 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 love something that's almost bigger than us, something to be passionate about. You know, Truly, sometimes I yeah. I walk around and I I see guys without passion or that that aren't passionate about something in their life. Like you say, whether it's mountain biking, fishing, bow hunting, whatever it is that you gravitate towards that you find, but something that's bigger than you that you just put constant work and effort in. Like you say, it teaches you so many great life lessons about hunting, but also about life. Like all of those skills transpose into being a father, being a husband, you know, being a construction worker, whatever it is, like all of those, you know, create who I really am, you know, and I learned so much about myself in those moments when you don't want to keep going or you don't want to push on and you make yourself do it. Um, yeah, I just think we're so lucky, you know, that we do that we have found something that we love to do so much. And and you you know the the other thing I want to touch on too, Henry, is like you said you scout a bunch. So you're really successful on these big next level deer year after year. Um and so it sounds like when you draw an area or maybe take me through like when you draw an area there in your home state of Colorado, how much are you scouting that unit or looking around or what's your approach to that unit once you have a tag? First of all, it's as much as humanly possible. You know, we've discussed, I mean, I have a family, I have you know, I have a job and both of which require a lot of time, you know, to be good at either of them. They require a lot of your time. Yes. And so I find that through sleep deprivation, I, I've become pretty effective at scouting. And when I, when I say that, what I mean is I'm up at three in the morning on a regular basis during the summer. That's just all there is to it. So, for for example, I, I'll give you this. This summer is a perfect example. Um, and I mean, I don't be careful. I, I've, I've got to be careful how I present this because it's like a lot of first world problems here. Um, <laughs> bow hunting problems. But, well, and, and bow hunting is bow hunting is like third down the list here in, in my my problems this summer. I mean, first of all, I do have a fair amount of tags. I feel very fortunate for that because I've had the opposite. <laughs> We've all experienced that. Sometimes the draw, the draw gods love you and sometimes they just hate you. And I, we've all been, we've all been on both sides of that. It, uh, it sucks when it's not going your way. But, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I've got some tags this year. So I know I'll have some opportunities, but I also know that I will be gone for over a month this summer. I've got, we're leaving July 8th and I'm, I'm gone for two weeks in, uh, on a work trip to Vietnam. Now this is going to be a much better work trip to Vietnam than I usually take because I've cashed in a couple hundred thousand miles and I'm taking my family over there with me. So I'm going to, we're going to experience Vietnam and see how the other you know, 98% of the world that doesn't live in America experiences life. So that's going to be a lot of fun, but it's two weeks. It's a two week trip. And that's two weeks of prime time for scouting because it's after 4th of July that the bucks have developed enough antler that you can, you kind of separate the contenders from the pretenders. And that's always my, my just key, key scouting time. So I come back from that trip. I'm home for 
like 48 hours. I have a quick work trip to San Antonio. I'm home from that trip for like 14 hours. And then I have a four day trip to Vegas. So right there, I'm out over three weeks. And that's, that's, like I said, that is my, that is my scouting time. That's my, my peak scouting time. I come back from that and I, then three days before Antelope opens, I've got another three day trip to Arkansas for work. So, you know, I have a lot of demands on my time and I'm looking at it and, and knowing that while I typically don't scout a ton in June, I'm putting my time in this June. I mean, because I know that if I want to have success, I've got to get out there every chance I get. And, you know, I, again, being a below average bow hunter, I know that I need to find more than one buck to chase because if history's taught me anything, it's that that my target buck is probably going to live to see rifle season. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I'm just being real honest. I mean, that, that buck is probably not going to die at my hands. Um, so I need to have a backup plan. And then that backup plan had probably better have its own backup plan. And that's just the facts. I mean, I, I realize that I'm going to blow some stocks and it, it, it seemingly doesn't matter how meticulous I am. Um, you know, I've had everything from, Hawks, dive bombing deer, bedded bucks, uh, blow stocks to, you know, the typical stuff like wind swirling. Um, I, you know, I mean, we've just, we, you hunt enough and you come up with a, a pretty extensive series of blunders. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Anything can go wrong. And those deer are just going to win a lot of the times, you know? So yeah, no matter how methodical and slow and how many days you sit on that buck, ultimately you still have to go make a play, get in range and make a shot on that buck. And so you have to go all in at some point, but I'm the same way, Henry. I need, I need multiple opportunities because I am going to fail. I am going to mess up an opportunity, mess up a stock. You know, the wind's going to swirl, that deer's going to win. I'm with you. So it sounds well, and, and you brought up some really good points there, Henry, like we, we have to be balanced as bow hunters too and take care of our other responsibilities as far as work and paying our bills and our family, being a father, being a husband. And so I'm with you. Summertime, a lot of times I'm just um, – I'm trying to get construction work done. I'm trying to save money, and I know I'm taking so much time hunting season that I can't just be gone every day throughout the summer. Like I've got to make enough money. I've got to spend quality time with my family. I've got to get my own personal stuff done around the house, you know, whether it's restaining the decks or, you know, whatever's on my list. Um, so yeah, you got to kind of take care of that stuff and then still try to find time to scout and prepare yourself for success and then prepare yourself for being gone that long. Um, I, I just thought that was a great point, but it sounds like for you, like one, when you start scouting, you scout really hard. So I'm sure you're looking at e-scouting and you're looking at basins that could produce, and then you're putting eyes on those basins. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to find multiple you know, quality bucks that'll be shooters for you that you kind of know their home range and their first living and where they're hanging out. So then during season, you can go to that spot and go relocate that buck and possibly get a play on them. That's exactly right. And, you know, I, I want to have one of the, one of the things is, you know, finding multiple bucks in one bachelor herd 
I, I just don't even think that counts because truthfully, you if you blow one stock on those, some bucks just won't come back, you know, or they'll change their habits enough that they just kind of vanish. Um, what I, what I want to have, I want to have multiple herds in multiple locations. So if for one reason the wind's just wrong in an area one day and I know I'm not going to be able to get in there, I'll, I'll just, I'll have a, a couple of alternate spots that I can vary my approach enough that I can, uh, you know, have another buck that I can chase that day. Man, so that's, that's just, and the only way you get that is just by putting in the boot leather time, you know, just getting out there and truly doing the work and finding the, uh, finding, you know, finding those animals. Man, that's where that scouting really pays off for you. And I do some scouting trips and do like the, the same thing that you're talking about where you're locating different bachelor herds of bucks. You're looking them over. You're trying to find a, a good next level shooter to put on the shooting list. And then, you know, by the end of scouting, like if I'm hunting a spot in Wyoming, it's three hours away. I can run a couple different backpack scouting trips down there. And so, yeah, I'll have a list of shooters that's four or five bucks long where I know the general area where they are, where then I can go look for them. But I also have like like this year I drew a Colorado tag. And um, so when I head to Colorado, like I it's 14, 16 hours away from my house. And so. What I've got to do is I've just got to drive down and show up there a couple days early, get familiar with the country, but I just got to start backpacking, looking in these basins, and then I'm I'm trying to scout them and locate them, but I'm also trying to hunt them at that time. And then if I blow that buck or it doesn't happen on that one, I'll travel the ridgeline to go look at a different drainage or a different spot. And so, you know, I do a lot of real-time scouting during my hunt just because some of these areas, you know, I'm not close enough where I can scout. Yeah, and it, then you've got to get creative. You you just have to get creative. You've got to vary the tactics, and you've got to you've got to be able to approach it differently. But you know, I I try to hunt. I try to hunt as the same areas as often as I can, um, because you can, you'll find historical patterns in those deer. Um, and what I mean by that is year in year out they're going to they're in that area for a reason you know they've they've got that they've got that home range and that home range has treated them well over the years they're going to come back i mean there's no reason unless they're given a valid reason to leave an area and i mean that could be excessive predators um you know coyotes mountain lions in your area, grizzly bears, you know, I mean, there, there can be valid reasons for some, for animals to leave, but it usually takes a lot. I mean, they'll adjust, but it takes a lot to push animals out of an area. So if you find them there one year, there's a way above average chance that you're going to find them there again the next year. And I mean, Hey, I, you know, we're on the Eastman's podcast. I learned that years ago, reading Mike Eastman's book. And I mean, that that was a huge help to me knowing that, OK, I may not be hunting the best trophy area in Colorado. In fact, I am most definitely not hunting the best trophy area in Colorado. But I know that the genetics in, in Colorado are such that if I put my time in, I will find 
a buck. I will find bucks worth chasing. And that's something that uh, a lot of people just get so fixated on. I'm not going to hunt deer until I can burn 10 points and go hunt a trophy unit. Well, that's great. But in the meantime, you could have killed you could have killed five to 10 good bucks by going in and just learning an area and getting to work at it. Well, and, one, two, you draw that good area. If you don't have the skill set, you're not going to end up with a good buck anyways because you've been waiting 10 years to hunt them. You know, you, you yeah. kill good bucks by building the skill set and, and, and learning, you know, those bucks habits and then capitalizing on it. But, man, you couldn't have stated that better, Henry. Like I really believe – like what you're saying is so true where I return to areas and bucks just like certain drainages, certain faces, certain feeding features, certain bedding features, and you find like deer beds in there that are then been used for hundreds of years or thousands of years that these deer just like to be in that spot so i'm the same way and i'm always trying to mix new spots with the old where i've got the old standby drainages i know i'll find bachelor bucks there's never a guarantee that i'm gonna find a 180 or a 200 incher in there but there is a guarantee that there you know there's probably gonna be bucks hanging in there and i need to go get a look at them you know and they live in those same drainages year to year to year you know and so you go check those spots and then you see what kind of bucks are coming up and there's no telling where that 180 or 200 incher which group he's going to be in it's just a matter of age and genetics well and i i told you about that deer that i snuck in on to 10 feet this year and couldn't get a shot at it because he was in this hole if i had to count i'll bet i have seen two dozen bucks bed in that spot over the years so, I mean, you know, you talk about these historical, these historical beds that, that they use year in, year out. That's a perfect example of it. I mean, that thing had been, I call it a buckhole and you've got to pronounce that just right. The K is very important. <laughs> uh, but these buckholes, I mean, that, this buck was buried down in there and there's no shot. There was no shot. If I came in with the wind in my favor, there's no chance of a shot. Now, had I come in 180 degrees opposite and instead of coming up from the south, came in from the north, well, sure, there's a shot. But the problem is he would have winded me long before I was in, in range to get that shot. So, you know, they, they're in these areas because they know where they have strategic advantages. And they're, they're smart. I mean, they are – when you start hunting mature deer – the difference between, you know, shooting a, a forky and shooting a, you know, shooting a, a solid four to six year old buck is just night and day because the the knowledge that they gain over those seasons just makes them a, almost a different species of animal. And that's that's what I love. I mean, just being able to match wits with with a deer that they know every detail of their of their house and, you know, we're trying to create opportunities for animals that have every advantage over us. And that's I, I, that's what I just love about it. It's just that that chess game. 
Yeah, you're right. Like their lifespan isn't that long. So for every year of life that they put on themselves, they they just grow. They double their knowledge or their instincts. They're just so keen, and they you know they've evolved from avoiding mountain lions up there, yeah. you know, in the the rocks and the trees. And a mountain lion is way sneakier than me on his on his worst day. You know, it's like yes, indeed. Yeah. And, and so yeah. to try to outsmart one of those wily old bucks that has years of, of instincts and experience underneath them, and like you say living in that home area he's so familiar with all the 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 beds and ridge lines and the way the wind travels like um they're set up to win and so when you can outsmart them or outplay them like you really feel like you've done something yeah and i i think i think you made a great point there that i truly believe that their knowledge base grows exponentially each year and so uh, and it just means so much to be able to I, I, I don't play chess. The only time I play chess is with mule deer on a mountain. <laughs> and it's, you know, there's so many things that you're, you're going through on a stock that you have to kind of sort through these immediate little problem solving scenarios, you know, and I, I just love it. It's, it's so cool because when it does go right and you, you literally, you know, it, you, you put yourself in that position and all those, all those pieces fall into place and, you know, you find yourself at full draw. Oh, it's just, it's awesome. I mean, it, it's something that I have a hard time even explaining it to people because if you don't know, it, there's no way you can explain it to somebody. If you haven't experienced it, there's just no way you can, you can put into words what those moments mean. Man, that's the truth. Well, and it's um, you talk about chess on the mountain. It, it it's such problem solving, and it's so it's such creative thinking that you have to do to 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 weigh all the factors that go into trying to make a good stock. Whether it's the wind, the approach, the other deer, the the hillside, like there's so many things to factor in. And the reality is, is there is no right or wrong answer. It's kind of whatever yeah. you come up with, and it either works or it doesn't, you know. And when it doesn't, then you re- reevaluate it and go, well, man, I shouldn't have made that approach. That wind was, you know, I was trying to cheat that wind here. God, my approach, I was so exposed there. What was I thinking coming down there? The landscape <laughs> yeah. looked different when you got there or whatever the case is. But it's just such creative thinking, and it, it's just – um. Like you say, it's when it comes together and you make the right decisions in the right play and the right plan, nothing is more fulfilling. At least I haven't found anything more thrilling and fulfilling in my life. I just absolutely love it. And like you say, it's so tough for us to be able to try to articulate it in words because unless you're standing there on the mountain and – and put in all that hard work and you're feeling those senses of accomplishment, you just – like that's the only way to get it. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I look at, I look at bow hunting as, and, and bow hunting, you know, spot and stock stuff, just trying to get, you're trying to control variables. And, you know, there's a lot of these variables totally out of our control. Swirling winds, it happens. It sucks, but it happens. Um, you know, looking at, you know, but you try to control the things that you can control. I mean, for, for me, I, I can control my – through scouting, I can look at patterns. I think I know where he's going to go when he stands up. I think I know where he's going to bed. Okay, that's uh, that's helpful. But what 
I focus on year round is, is working on my shot, knowing that when I get that shot, I can deliver. And, you know, you've got to put yourself in a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different angles up and down and pressure situations to know how you are going to react when the pressure is on. And I know that's something you put a lot of time into, Brian. And it's it, it's I, I, I just first of all, I love shooting my bow. So for me, it's not. It's not, oh man, I got to go shoot my bow. It's no, I get to go shoot my bow. And I, I love that process. That's part of it. And it's, it's something that it, the more you, the more time you spend preparing, the better that confidence level becomes when you're on the mountain. And it's just one more thing that you can just put to the back of your mind because you know your shot process and you know what it takes to, to deliver that arrow accurately each and every time. And that confidence is king, isn't it? When you're walking around the mountain with yeah. confidence, when you know you can make that shot, you know all you need is a sliver of opportunity and you're going to deliver that arrow. But when you're walking around the mountains with confidence, like uh, you feel like you can do anything. You see a deer a couple miles away, you think you can kill that deer. You know you're going to put in the effort to try to kill him. You don't say, "Well, I, you know, I don't know if I can really get close. He's so far away." But gosh, when you're walking around with that confidence, and confidence comes from putting in the work, like you have to. Earn it. It's not something exactly. you can't. It's not yeah. make believe, and you have to prove it to yourself throughout those practice seasons of making those tough shots, shooting from your knees, shooting downhill angles, shooting at 3D targets, and you make that shot time and time and time again, and you prove to yourself that you can deliver and you can make that shot, and you you draw upon previous experiences where you have delivered good arrows on animals in the crunch. And so all that comes together to give you this confidence in your equipment and confidence in yourself in the mountains. And, and that's when you're, you're deadly is when you're walking around with that confidence. Well, and I, I think, you know, you said drawing on past experience for a, for a novice bow hunter, for somebody who's just earning their stripes, man, it, it can be as simple as just drawing from experiences of times where you were at the range and you made that perfect shot. You made that great 50 yard downhill shot on the bedded buck target. You made that shot on the, you know, cross Canyon mule deer, you know, and it's, it's all a process, but you know, the more you, the longer you've been doing it, you can start looking back at, Oh man, I've had a scenario kind of like this. And you know, each scenario is different, but if you shoot enough 3D targets, I, I still remember drawing back on a on a buck that was at if I'm being real honest here, it was a pretty long range. This was back in 2007, and I drew back on that buck, and I sat there and I thought to myself, "Can I make this shot?" And then I, it flashed back in my mind all these different shots I had made at the range that led me to have confidence that I could. And when I drew back, that pin just sat there rock solid. I smoked that deer. <laughs> and it's, you know, so don't be discouraged if you haven't gotten to that point where you're like, oh, I've already killed five spot and stock mule deer in these manner, you know, in this same manner before. We're all we're all products of our environment and products of our experiences. And wherever we happen to be in developing those it's it's fine you know we're we're all we're all learning still and i mean hey we're all you and i are learning on the job just like everybody else is you know
It's just so trying true. to improve. Just trying to improve each year. Yeah, that's a really good point, Henry. As you draw confidence, you draw from the experiences that you have. You know, you have proven it to yourself whether you've killed a big buck or not. You've made that shot a hundred times in your backyard. Draw from that. Know that you can do it. Build that confidence. Um Man, Henry, I could talk bow hunting with you forever. Uh, you're so passionate about it. Uh, you've had so much success. Um, I really enjoy your social media. So uh, Big Chief Whack-A-Buck, and also uh, you run the page Not Fit to Hunt, which is great. I love that page. Um, and, and, yeah, I'm I'm pulling for you. I'd love to have you back on, like, after season or after you get that oh, big buck to, in yeah. Colorado. I just really enjoyed this conversation, Henry. So thanks again for taking the time, well, same man. Here, Brian. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. And literally anytime. So good luck out there. Hope you, hope you smack a couple big ones this year. It's, I, I always look forward to, uh, to checking out your social media because you get more tags than me, which you know, I'm a little jealous about that, but you know. The tag That's, gods are uh, good to me. They like me. <laughs> hey, keep it up. Whoever you're paying off, keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, will do. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I really enjoyed it, Henry. So we'll keep in touch. I really want to have you on again. I really enjoyed it. So we'll we'll uh, talk soon. Next time, I won't call you Tony in the beginning either. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. All sounds right. good, Henry. We'll talk to you soon, Brad. Take okay. care. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, again, just a really fun conversation with Henry. Uh, that guy is just an absolute killer. He kills some giant bucks, and um, he's so humble, uh, but but there's so much great information in there. So I just want to thank Henry for being on again. Like I say, he's a guy I just want to continue to be friends with. I meet so many great people on this podcast. Like I have this really good circle of of family and friends in my life and and I keep adding to it as I meet people and you know hey you want to go fishing and we end up going doing a drift and and hanging out and keeping in touch and the the guys that I end up being friends with are the guys that we go do things together you know you call me we're headed on an adventure we're headed in the mountains we're headed scouting we're headed hunting we're headed fishing and and two, when you sign up for me, you are in for an adventure. You never know what time you're going to get home. It may be midnight, two in the morning, but we're going to have fun, going to have some laughs along the way. But but Henry's just one of those guys that uh, that we really connected on the podcast and our conversation, and I want to keep in touch with, and I just wish him the, the best hunting this year. But yeah, I just get to meet the best people through this podcast. Dang near everybody I have on, I just want to be friends with, you know, um, or I am friends with. Like, I just make that connection with him. But uh, yeah, just a fun one. Thanks again to Henry. I also want to thank our sponsors for the show, uh, Yeti Coolers. Uh, make sure to check out their coolers, um, their their tumblers, their ramblers, their thermoses. The you know everything that they offer is just a high high level or a, a high quality, next level stuff that that'll last you a lifetime. So. Um, I'm just lo in love with it. I got the new meat purse. Uh, I'm going to be taking it to Hawaii here soon, hopefully bringing home some Axis and uh, maybe a Mouflon sheep. So I'm really looking forward to that hunt. Uh, that's coming up here in about a month or so, the end of July. I'm, I'm going to take off to that. I just bought my plane ticket. Super stoked. I get to go hang out with uh, my really good friends from Hawaii, you know, Sean Kern. God, I want to get Sean on the podcast for a couple episodes. That's all that guy thinks about is hunting and um, next level hunting. He's always listening to the podcast. He's always sending me me text on different things. So I'm definitely going to get Sean on for a couple. Uh, I think um, 
Yeah, we're going to have uh, my buddy Robin, who does great on the podcast, Janus, who is hilarious. So all three of those guys, we're renting a house over in Lanai. We're also, uh, I think Remy's going to meet us over there and hunt. Um, I've got to get Remy on a podcast. I shot him a message the other day. So uh, we got to get him on the podcast. So we may have him on while he's out there. I'd love to do a live one with him. And so we'll see what we can get recorded. But we got some good ones coming up. And, uh, oh, uh, so I thanked Yeti. also want to thank High Mountain Seasonings. And um, I thank you guys, too, for just all the support. I I know I try to thank you, you know, every episode it seems to come in the forefront of my mind, like right in the ending to just, like, um, thank you guys for all the support, the the Instagram, the podcast. I mean, the only thing, that, the only reason this podcast goes is because of you guys. Because you guys enjoy it. You get information from it, and you're passionate about it. God, I see guys reposting the podcast, uh, getting reviews, talking about it. Like that's how a good podcast gets shared. It's just like um, you listen to it, and it motivates you, and then you share it with your buddies or followers or whatever. But I really think that's like how a podcast uh, gets to be popular or works. So um, I just want to thank you guys. This is um, such a, a fun format. I really enjoy doing it, and I learn a ton from it. Um, so, so this has been a really fun journey and, and I just want to thank you guys for, for being along for the ride with me, um, doing this little podcast out of my basement. Can't believe that we've, you know, that we've grown this into something and, and 160 episodes in or something. Um, yeah, it's just crazy, but I really enjoy it and it's all because of you guys. So thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. And I think I covered it all. So what am I up to? God, I got one day on the salmon fly hatch. I was telling you guys about that. Uh, I got it over on the big hole, and it was red hot. I was fishing with one of my good buddies, uh, Eric Polson, and um, man, did we get it good. I don't know how many trout I landed on a dry fly. And uh, Polson was just, he he rode a lot of the day. Uh, usually we split about 50-50. Um, but yeah, he was just rowing, having fun and I was hooking those things and they were coming up for my bugs. So we just kept going down. So I think it was more like a 75%, 25% ratio. So sure appreciate pulsing, uh, pulling on the stick so hard for me, but man, just technical fishing under those limbs. And I was catching fish in every spot where nobody else could make the cast, like way up under the brush or really tough men's with really tough current or, you know, in any of those spots I could get where nobody else could touch with their fly that there he is you know it'd be a big brown trout come up and eat it says so, so much fun uh they haven't come off on the madison yet the salmon flies that is that hatch uh but i went looking for them yesterday and as soon as they're in uh you can guarantee i'll be down on the river fishing those things but been getting in good runs i got in a 15 miler on saturday uh, just a great one with about 2,500 vert, um, you know, actually made my legs a little sore, which is a good thing for me. Uh, so yeah, just getting my runs in, bows shooting like crazy. Um, I mean, really, I'm a month out from going to Hawaii, but we're six, eight weeks out from, from the fall seasons when they all get going. So just trying to take care of all my responsibilities, uh, really spend some quality time with the family and uh, now going to try to squeeze in some scouting. Man, I drawn some good tags. I drew Colorado. I drew Wyoming. I'm going to hunt those back-to-back. They're almost the same dates. Um, so I'm really excited about those two hunts. Um, and, yeah, see, what else do I got? You know, probably I'll hunt Idaho late for deer again. Then Montana, I got my deer and my elk. Thinking about maybe picking up an elk tag, an over-the-counter one. In Idaho, we'll see what I got time for. Uh, hopefully I draw my antelope tag. 
Uh, Moose, Sheep, and Goat came out in Montana. I blanked on those one of these years. I'm going to draw one of those. I put in for sheep everywhere across the country and and putting in for for moose and sheep and, and goat here in Montana for close to 20 years. And I, I did draw a goat tag. I was able to harvest a goat in 2013. Um, what a great experience. I think I can start applying again next year or the year after. I think we've got a seven-year wait after you harvest. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll draw one of those ram tags eventually, one of those uh, desert sheep or Rocky Mountain bighorn. Uh, I just feel like it's my opportunity as a blue-collar guy to just, you know, it costs some money to put in across all these western states, but if I draw one, it's so worth it because I just can't afford the other way. So uh, it'd be fun to draw one of those one of these years, but uh, I'm sitting with a pocket full of tags and a, a, a bunch of hunts to go on. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just super excited. Time to get here for hunting season, have my stuff dialed in, uh, have my time. I want, I need to sit down and record a solo podcast on you draw a tag. Now what? And just go through my process of learning the units and, um, you know, like I'm always hunting new spots. So how to learn these new spots and, um, you know, plan scouting trips and plan a hunt. And I just want to go through all of it. So I've got some notes written down and, um, I will sit down and record that solo podcast here coming up. So uh, I'll make sure to get that done. We'll keep cranking these podcasts out for you. Again, fun one with Henry Ferguson. I've been talking way too long. This is not a solo podcast. This is just an ending to Henry Ferguson's podcast. So, uh, man, that's a wrap. Uh, Thanks a bunch, guys. I appreciate it, and we'll check in with you next week.